How do you do? Mr. Brian Peters feels it would be a little unkind to present this podcast, gravely amusing, without just a word of friendly warning. We are about to unfold an episode from the mind of Brian Peters, a fan of pop culture who sought to create a podcast after his own image, without reckoning upon God. It is one of the strangest podcasts ever listened to. It deals with two great fandoms of pop culture, humor, and horror. I think it will thrill you. It may shock you. It might even horrify you. So if any of you feel that you do not care to subject your nerves to such strain, now's your chance to... Well, we warned you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of Gravely Amusing, the only pop culture podcast approved by Baptist Boomers. I am your host, the one and only man-child of mystery, Brian Peters. Thank you so much for joining me. You could be listening to your children whine, your spouse nagging, or your telemarketer ask about your car's warranty, but at this moment, you chose Gravely Amusing, you chose me, and for that, I thank you. The check is probably in the mail. It's just lost. Guys, I got to tell you, I am an overthinker. I overthought this podcast way too much, really stressed about it because I just want to have a good podcast. I want you guys to really love it because I'm very insecure, but uh, that's who I am. So I I am an overthinker and I thought about what I was going to do for my first episode of Gravely Amusing. I struggled how I was going to present the history of horror and pop culture there's so much I want to talk about, so many stories to discuss. Um, so I thought maybe I would start with the Epic of Gilgamesh, where historians have said it is the first horror story. It's a tale of beasts and monsters and cool stuff, but it's not very well known. And the Catholic Church also considers it a false record. They put in the Book of the Apocrypha, which is a little book of the Bible that... Well, it's a collection of books of the Bible that the Catholic Church doesn't recognize as canon. It, they don't matter. They're false record. They're not real stories. And and that's probably good for them because in the book of Thomas in the Apocrypha, Jesus is a child killing other children, which would be pretty damn scandalous for the church if they had in their Bible. I mean, your Lord and Savior is killing kids as a kid. I Yeah, that, that might not work. In the Catholic Church, they just have enough scandals. So, you know, let's put that one in the closet. Uh, if you if you listeners want an episode on horror stories of the Bible, I think I could totally do that for you. And with my theology background, I'd probably be really excited about it. So send me a message on Twitter at greatly underscore amusing, and I'll definitely take it into consideration and any other ideas you guys might have. And in case you're wondering, I'm definitely going to talk about the demon that visited me as a kid in an upcoming episode in my Halloween special and some other things that happened to me. So uh, stay tuned for that. Now, after I thought about the Epic of Gilligan and talking about that, I threw that out the window and I thought about discussing the Odyssey of Homer, uh, 
And now that is an epic tale of a man just trying to get home to his family after promising he'd only go out for a pack of cigarettes. But he ends up pissing off the wrong gauze, and it's full of monsters and magic, and it's, it's pretty cool. It's just a tough read, but eventually I will discuss it because I really love mythology. I I also highly recommend that you listeners check out uh, 1970s, 1997's The Odyssey starring Armand Asante. That's a pretty cool name. Armand Asante. Armand Asante. Darn it, the word's becoming a sound. What, what is that called again? Sorry, I got lost there. My apologies. Uh, what, what was I talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The story before in pop culture as we know it. Sorry. Uh, that began, within my opinion, the coolest monsters there are. The universal monsters. I'm talking Dracula, Wolfman Jack, the mummy, my friend Tyler's mummy, the creature from the Black Lagoon, the phantom of the parents' basement, the invisible man John Cena, the bride, even though there was no marital ceremony or consent of any kind, and my personal favorite, Frankenstein's monster. Frankenstein was the first horror film I ever watched as a kid, or at least the earliest one I can remember, and it was the first adult novel I ever read completely. And since then, I've been obsessed with the story ever since, and just the image of this monster, of this creature. It's it's probably why the Krebel Hulk is my absolute favorite, because the Krebel Hulk was um, was was based on Frankenstein and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And what intrigued me the most about that look of Frankenstein uh, in the 1931 movie was Boris Karloff and that a makeup by Jack Pierce. I thought that that was insane. It was so good. Now, Jack Pierce was a makeup artist for Universal Pictures, and he did the makeup and the look of the Universal Monsters he, because there was no CGI back then. And in my personal opinion, CGI sometimes can ruin movies. It just makes it look so fake. And, you know, uh, if you want a perfect example, you know, The Flash, um, and 2003's Hulk, like that CGI just, yeah, it just, it doesn't work. And back in the olden days, things just had more realism. Things were scarier. You had a sense of belief that monsters could exist because you're really watching people instead of staring at people standing in front of a, a green screen. And that's what cinema is all about, ladies and gentlemen, is real stuff. Uh, Gravely Amusing is about pop culture history, and sometimes there's just so much to learn that I'll have to split things into multiple episodes. So this episode is actually going to be into three parts. So the first part is going to be about the history of Mary Shelley, who wrote Frankenstein. The second part, I'm going to discuss the novel and what happens in it. And the third part, I'm going to discuss the history of the 1931 film Frankenstein and the 1935 sequel, The Bride of Frankenstein, and basically what happens in those movies. So you're going to get nice three podcasts in one deal. And you can skip to whatever podcast you want to. Just listen to them all. Actually, don't skip them because I have feelings. And, you know, I want you to listen to them all because, you know, I put this work in to teach you about horror history. And, you know, just, just please listen to it. Please. I have candy. Uh, it's just this. I just I just hope you like it. And this is the first of many podcasts to come. I hope so. So grab a seat, turn the lights off, 
light some candles, and let's enter the world that is sometimes scary, sometimes shocking, but always at least gravely amusing. Most people think Frankenstein is the first horror novel, or Dracula was. This is not so. In 1764, 54 years before Mary wrote Frankenstein, the first horror novel, The Castle of Otranto, was written by a man who went around saying, My name is Horace Walpole. This book is the first gothic novel and is considered the first complete horror novel. It's kind of a ghost story in a castle, but it's also really weird because it has dudes agreeing to marry the other one's daughter, and it has lots of mistaken identities. And to be honest, I didn't finish it. And you probably are not going to care to do that either. But, you know, it's out there. If you're interested, go look for it if you're a collector. Now, other novels would come out after that, but horror didn't really make a significant impact until the 19th century with a young teenager named Mary Shelley. Mary Shelley was the daughter of two writers, William Godwin, who is a radical philosopher, political writer, and an anarchist, my kind of guy, and Mary Wollstonecraft, who was a feminist and a radical herself. Mary W., as we're going to call her, was also a woman who unfortunately suffered from depression as she made several suicide attempts on her life. Mary W. was no doubt a woman who struggled against what the world said she should be and who she really was as a person. I think some of us can probably relate to that. Mary W. believed that women are not naturally inferior to men. They just don't have the same opportunities as men. She felt men and women should be treated as equals, and she believed in a social world built on reason. A man's sister. With her beliefs, she wrote a vindication of the rights of women, which is controversial to say the least in her time, but it did lay great groundwork for women's rights for the future. Mary W. had two failed relationships before her marriage to Godwin. There was a Swiss painter named Henry Fuseli, whose art often depicted supernatural things. Big turn-on for Mary W., I guess. The other turn-on for Mary W., this guy was married. Mary W. pursued him, though, despite this, and was eventually stopped by Fuseli's wife, Sophia. Fuseli was quoted as saying, I hate clever women. They are troublesome. I couldn't find out if he met Mary W. or if his wife catching him. Either way, he, he, he was a moron. Mary would later have a relationship with some diplomat dish, douchebag named Gilbert Imlay. Now, Mary W. registered herself as his wife to protect herself from the French Revolution going on because uh, married women were protected a lot better than, you know, just like mistresses, mistresses. But it also probably had something to do with the fact that the student knocked her up. They would never officially be married. Now, Emily would go for long periods of time on risky business trips. And eventually, he just left Mary W. and her baby in Paris while he moved to London. Mary W. wasn't having that crap. Being the badass she was, she took a ship to London to find old Gilbert Bangus, some actress. I'm led to believe 
that she might have left the baby with him as a child, uh, Fanny was her name, would not meet her future sister, Mary Shelley, until she was about three years old. The good news, though, is that Mary W. would eventually find a man who loved her fiercely. The bad news is it wouldn't last very long. Mary W. found William Godwin, our anarchist. They wed, and Mary gave birth to Mary Wollstonecraft Godwin, future Shelley, on August 30th, 1797 in London, England. Happy belated birthday, Mary Shelley. Seriously, you don't look a day after 225. Happy birthday, girl. Mary Godwin's life, though, began in tragedy as her mother would die just 11 days after her giving birth to her from complications. All she would have of her mother was her writings and the memoirs William would finish and publish in memory of his lost great love. Three years later, old Gil would drop off Fanny, Mary's older illegitimate half-sister. Old Gil just handed the kid, the kid to William and said, deuces, dude. Real class act. We're going to find out pretty shortly that men back in that day were real, real class acts. Mary uh, seemed to have a happy childhood, though. But Daddy was feeling the pressure of being a single dad. He was going broke. So he did what any rational single dad would do. He searched for a sugar mama. And he would find one in Mary Jane Watson. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Mary Jane Claremont. Mary Jane Claremont. My bad. Why the hell does every woman in this time need to be named Mary? <laughs> Freaking jeez. So anyway, funny thing about this Mary Jane, though, she smelled like skunk. And she already had two kids. Seriously, dude, if you're stressed about having two kids and being able to provide, and those two kids are not even yours, why would you take two more kids that aren't yours? Sorry, I said that wrong. Yeah, oh, sorry. Yeah, one kid was his. The other kid wasn't. So this would be three kids that aren't his. Why? Yeah, like, why would you do that to yourself? Oh, yeah. I'm a man. I understand. She probably had that fat ass, son. I understand. A man has needs. And those needs <laughs> brought him a fifth kid to feed. I, I I guess the art of pulling out didn't exist until the 1900s. Whatever. Mary might have been pretty. I don't know. But one thing is for sure. Mary Jane was here to stay. And she was, as the French say, a bit of a bitch. She sent her own kids to school. But Mary and Fanny, who weren't her kids, they would not get that opportunity. Due to the evil stepmother and the blood of creativity in her veins, though, Mary found comfort in books and writing. She often found her happy place to be her mother's grave. It would soon be a happy place for, for other reasons. Uh, Mary didn't have that many friends, though, but she did come close with her stepsister, Claire. As Mary got older, she wasn't allowed to go to school. Um, so Mary eventually would stay with her father's friend, Arthur Weasley, and his family. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> the name of the dude uh, was Baxter. So anywho, Mary would find peace there with her foster family and was able to learn more and be more creative without the dread of her stepmother around. When Mary was 17, 
and staying at the Baxter building, she met a student of her father's named Reed Richards, or as history called him, PBS, or Perry Bice Shelley. The dude was married, because Mary Shelley likes to take after her mother. PBS was married, 22 years old, five years older than Mary G. You have no idea how much Mary G is going to take after her mother, Mary W. PBS was a true charmer. He was definitely a catch. Legend has it he took her virginity at her mother's grave in the churchyard. Man is romantic. Mary's father, William, was for some reason not amused by this romance. Maybe he found out that they were begging on his wife's grave. I, I don't know. But you see, Percy came from wealth, and he promised to pay off William Godwin's debts to kind of win his approval. But Percy's family wouldn't have that. They didn't approve of him pursuing Mary while he was married, and the knowledge that his wife Harriet was pregnant, he's not going to get any money. So they cut him off. So he did what any rational man would do that wants to run away from responsibility. He grabbed Mary's hand, and he said, You better hold on tight, spider monkey. And they fled to England and took Mary's stepsister sister Claire with them, which might have not have been the best choice, even if her and Mary were friends. But regardless, the trio traveled around Europe, and they suffered financially even more. Sadness would soon come as Mary would go through even more dark times as she suffered the loss of her first child. She lost a daughter in 1815 who was born but only survived for a few days. Absolutely, absolutely sad. Mary would have no time to grieve with her husband, though, because Percy's old wife, Harriet, would soon give birth to their son. They apparently, um, they apparently have two sons. I missed somewhere in my research where the second kid came from and the timing of that. But anywho, uh, this had to be the second son, or Percy got her pregnant somehow again in the coming years behind Mary's back. I'm, I'm not sure, but they had two sons. So all you need to know is two sons, because this man, there are so many rumors that he had kids with so many other women, so I have no idea. So just know that him and Harriet the Spy had two kids. Mary would see Percy with his newborn son, though, after she just lost her kid. And that, that definitely had to devastate her. And like I said, what made matters worse is Percy. Percy was a man whore. Ironically, he met his wife, Harriet, when she was young as well. And he was sleeping around. He even asked Harriet to share their home with another woman, and she agreed, just like Mary is doing right now. These kids are absolutely dumb. Mary, uh, Mary though, would have another child in January 1816, and she would name him William after her father. With some hope in her heart, though, Mary and Percy that summer would travel to Lake Geneva in Switzerland to spend time with their poet friend, Lord Byron. Lord Byron had a new girlfriend. Who do you guess it was? I'll wait. No, no, not a Kardashian. No. It was good old Claire. 
and Claire was prego. They also would be joined by Dr. John Polidari, who I'm going to discuss more in the Dracula episode, which um, you'll see why. So they all meet at this lake, at Lake Geneva in Switzerland, and they would mostly stay indoors and talk about sleeping with each other, uh, running from people they owed money to, and of course, Trump 2024. After that conversation got boring, though, a challenge was issued. Who can write the scariest story? Dun-dun-dun! She would start writing Frankenstein on a dark and stormy night, but not a typical dark and stormy night. It would be one of many in 1816, for that year was a year without a summer. Two years prior in 1814, a little bit of smoke started coming out of Mount Tambora in Indonesia. But like a homeless person standing at the corner of the intersection in front of Walmart, nobody's paying attention. That's until 1815, they were forced to. On April 5th, 1815, very loud explosions came from that volcano. Thousands of miles away in Europe, people thought it was cannon fire from the Napoleonic War. Troops were deployed actually in the thought of an attack. This would not be an attack from a short man with his hands in his pocket, though. No, this was an act of God. On April 10th, boom! A colossal explosion. Lava, fire, ash, everywhere. It shot so much that the mountain itself shrank by over 4,000 feet. It was a 7 on the Richter scale. So to put it in perspective, that is a 1,000 times more powerful than the 1980 eruption of Mount St. Helens. 10,000 people died immediately, and darkness came upon the land. The fallout from this didn't last for days or months. No, it was, it was actually years. This volcano released 30 to 60 million tons of sulfur dioxide into the air, which is about the same amount as that douchebag in town with a diesel truck revving his engine and attempt to race you. You know what I'm talking about. The one that has the two tailpipes hanging out the back of the truck bed, balls are hanging from the rear hitch. He has a Confederate flag across the back window. You know, the definition of what a man should be. Praise Dale and raise hail. woo wait. <laughs> what I mean is, this event was bad. It was, it, was, it was really bad. The global climate dropped 5.4 degrees. The whole freaking globe dropped in temperature by 5 degrees. In the early winter of 1816, a bay in Maine froze solid causing Maine Maine fishermen to choose a different fish fish species for money. I can't even talk right now. (laughs) Sorry. China also had a record-breaking famine in the Yunnan province, wherever wherever that is. Uh, It's in China. Crop prices everywhere in the world skyrocketed. It left tens of thousands of poor to starve and get sick. And you thought COVID was bad. And COVID's coming back, so that'll be fun. But that night in 1816, 
Mary is going to channel all her darkness, all the deaths she'd already dealt with in her life, the times in the graveyard reading and the times banging her husband, the inspiration from her parents, the very blood in her, and she would create one of the most famous books of all time. And she titled it Frankenstein or the Modern Prometheus. If I were to write or make my own adaptation of Frankenstein, I would call it the Modern Prometheus. I mean, that name sounds pretty freaking cool. Um, if you don't know who Prometheus is in Greek mythology, see, I told you I would get I would get to the Greek mythology. I told you. Uh, he was a god who defied Zeus, and he defied Zeus by stealing fire from Mount Olympus and giving it to man. And in doing so, this created science, technology, uh, civilization as we know it. Zeus, he didn't like that. So he would punish him by chaining him to a rock and having birds peck out his intestines over and over again with every day starting anew with a healthy gut to be packed for all eternity. So basically, it was like a typical Monday by today's standards. In September, after the summer that year, um, Mary and Percy would actually move with good old Claire to England. You thought Claire was gone and she would be staying with Lord Byron, but no, she's back, she's knocked up, and she's good for ratings, everybody. That's why we keep Claire around. During this move, Mary would actually receive a letter from her half-sister, Fanny, about how depressed she was and unhappy with life. I, I imagine Fanny felt extremely unwanted as her mother died when she was young and her adopted parents just tossed her aside. Mary, Mary, uh, Mary Shelley also favored her stepsister over her half-sister, having taken Claire with them instead of Fanny. I... I researched as best I could, but I couldn't find why Mary uh, Shelley kind of didn't have a great relationship with Fanny. I'm, I'm not 100% sure. But on October 9th, Fanny would write an alarming letter that would send Percy on the hunt for her. But unfortunately, it was too late. On October 10th, Fanny was found dead in an inn. She had a suicide note with her and a modified bottle of opium with her. Exactly two months later, Harriet, Percy's real actual wife, would commit suicide as well. This would cause a cussy battle over Harriet and Percy's kids, and lawyers said that Percy would have to get married again to be able to possibly get custody of the kids to prove the case. So PBS would officially marry Mary and be Mary. There's too many Marys in the story. But Mary Godwin would officially become Mary Shelley, and the rift with Percy's family was over since they were legitimate. And good, some other good news, Mary was pregnant again. She would give birth to her third child, Clara. Our girl, Claire would eventually give birth as well to her child, uh, who she named Allegra. Percy will actually lose the case over the custody of those kids with Harriet, and they instead go to a church to be raised. So Mary did not have to raise some other woman's children. So that 
was probably good for her, but not maybe not so good for the kids. I, I don't know. In the summer of 1817, Frankenstein was finished, and the gang decided to move to Italy. Claire would actually, uh, this is really sad, Claire would have to give up her own child to Lord Byron to be raised because Claire was a mistress. Part of the deal is Lord Byron would take care of the kid, make sure that she was taken care of and fed. Remember, these kids were broke as hell. Um, But part of the deal was she would never, ever see her daughter again. She would just know that her daughter was taken care of. And in my opinion, this just proves even more so how much, how, how, how shitty men were back then. Um, I'm, I'm so glad to know that, that men are so much better now. So much better. But uh, yeah, anyway, as a, gay, as a gang jumped around eating pasta, Mary would lose two more children. William, her second child in 1818, and Clara, her third, in 1819. Mary would sink into a deep, dark depression once more. I mean, she lost so many kids. I mean, what do you expect? Frankenstein was finally published in 1818, though, but it didn't bring her much joy because she, her children were dying. This depression was so heavy that her relationship with Percy was greatly damaged. But Percy, being ever so concerned for his wife, wrote this journal entry. My dearest Mary, wherefore hast thou gone and left me in this dreary world alone? Thy form is here, indeed a lovely one, but thou art fled, gone down a dreary road that leads to sorrow's most obscure abode. For thine own sake I cannot follow thee. Do thou return for mine. See, he was concerned about her. Like, he wasn't a narcissist at all, you know. Mary would find comfort in her writing and the birth, the, the <laughs> and the birth of her fourth child, Percy Florence, in 1819. Percy Florence would be the only child to make it to adulthood. PBS would, of course, keep banging other women, and Mary's depression would continue, but her closeness to her son would grow. Uh, PBS, and I, you know, I've been calling him PBS. PBS, I guess, doesn't stand for Percy by Shelley. It stands for public banging system. <laughs> Sorry, that was a bad joke. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. Mary Shelley. Um, Mary, maybe your husband is just a piece of shit. I'm just throwing it out there. Like, you don't have to follow in your mom's footsteps. He's not going to change. So any women out there that are with a man that's just a piece of garbage and treats them like garbage, uh, that's a lot of garbage. It's just like there's a lot of Mary. Basically, if you're with a man that doesn't appreciate you and see you for what you are and treat you as a real partner, you need to get rid of that dude. Um, yeah, Mary could, Mary Shelley could have done better, and so could you, girl. Just find it out there. Uh, speaking of changes, though, in 1822, there would be a reprint of Frankenstein as it was turned into a play, and Mary actually would have her name finally attached to the work. 
See, before this, her name wasn't even attached to it. Um, and with with the name attached to it, though, comes critics. Critics of the time called her work vulgar and radical. The book would later be repub- republished and changed in 1831, a hundred years before the most famous movie would be made. Now, I'd love to be able to read the first edition. Um, you can't find an actual copy of this probably anywhere because there's only 500 copies. Um, well, I actually think you can find a Kindle version of it, supposedly. Uh, I did try to search for it, but I haven't read it yet, so I don't know um, I don't know how the original is because I read the later version. But the changes in the, in the 1831 novel that most people know is the character Elizabeth was no longer a cousin, but she was a ward of the Frankensteins now. The first chapter is longer, and it's actually split into two separate chapters. Uh, it also introduces the concept of galvanism, which is the thought of reanimated bodies with electricity. So this change is where the whole, you know, let's strike lightning and reanimate the body comes from. It also gives more motivation for Victor's wish to create life. Um, The 1831 edition is the one most people know, as I said, and it's used as a basis for the Frankenstein movie. Um, It does make me wonder, though, how the creature was originally made and what Victor's motives were. So I'm very, I'm very interesting to read that. I'm, go- I'm going to have to read that, guess. Um, Mary would write more novels and give money to her father after Percy, or, or would give more money to her father since Percy refused to help them. In 1822, as if she didn't suffer enough, death would come into her life again. Percy would die by drowning in a vagina or, or due to a boat wreck. Whatever one you want to believe. Financial troubles would follow Mary as after Percy died, her father-in-law agreed to help support her if Percy Florence was handed over to another guardian to take care of. Mary kindly said F off. Lawyers would eventually work out an allowance given to the kid from grandpa. So that helped her out. So, so thank you. Thank you, lawyers. And the next few years, she would spend her time meeting some cool people like Washington Irving, the author of Sleepy Hollow, and publishing her late husband's unfinished work, her father's work, and her own mix in there. So she took after her father here and publishing his, you know, how he publishes his wife's writings after she died, that that type of stuff. Um, Mary would also be a huge advocate for women and the LGBT community. Mary went as far as helping lesbians financially and giving them a new identity as men. How cool is that? In 1839, Mary would start getting headaches and random random instances of paralysis. This would prevent her from reading and writing. Her greatest love was reading and writing. Some of her greatest loves were reading and writing. On February 1st, 1851, Mary Shelley died at the age of 53 of a brain tumor. One year after her death, her her desk would be open. In it, they would find locks of her dead children's hair, a notebook she shared with her husband, a poem of his, 
and an urn containing the one thing she desired the most in life, Percy's heart. This ends part one of our Frankenstein episode. Join me next for a deep look into what actually happens in this novel Frankenstein. I think it will thrill you. It may shock you. It might even horrify you. And if not, at least it'll leave you gravely amused.